You can be turning in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. This morning we'll be in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, verse 24. Last week we said that no matter what a person says, how they love reveals what they really believe. And John says that the real test of having new life in Christ is if you love the brethren. And he boils down your Christian witness and faith to how you sacrifice for and serve others. The depth of love is revealed in the extent of the sacrifice. And we see that with Christ on the cross. Do you love your brother enough to open your heart to their need? To open your home to their need? Real love is seen in Christ laying down his life for us. And real love is shown in us laying down our lives for each other. Today, John continues in our text explaining and describing the kind of love that God loves. And he goes on to tell Christians another reason they can be confident of their salvation. Just listen for it as we read this morning. Chapter 3, starting in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So in verse 19, he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. By what do we know we're of the truth? And by what can our hearts be reassured before God? Those are good logical questions to ask here. Well, verse 18 tells us, When we love not in word or in talk, but in deed or in truth. So John says that Christians can have confidence before God if they actively love the brethren in deed and in truth, not just in love, in, in word or in talk. So confidence comes to the Christian who intentionally and obviously loves the church. So one evidence we could say that a person is truly saved is that they genuinely and actively practice Christian love. John has already said in chapter 3, verse 14, that if we love the brethren, then we know we have been given new life. But there's an aspect to this assurance that we're all affected by, and it's our own hearts. Now, when biblical authors use the term heart, they're not talking about your literal heart. The internal organ that delivers blood to your whole body is not what they're referring to. They mean your thoughts and your intentions, where your feelings come from. We get this um, idea because many of us will say, well, you broke my heart. Well, we don't literally mean that someone you know, snapped our aorta in half. We mean that they hurt us deeply. It's, so the heart means the seat of emotions. So what is, what's John saying here then? Look at verse 20. For... Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, 
and he knows everything. So for the believer, even when you're convicted of sin, even when you're brokenhearted about it, when your heart condemns you, the God who knows everything certainly knows the desires of your new heart, even when your flesh fails to follow through. Why do our hearts need assurance? Because even though we're not who we used to be, we're not yet who we want to be. And sometimes we blow it. Oftentimes, we might say we blow it. Now look at verse 20 again. Specifically, if our hearts convict us of not loving the brethren as we should, God, who, remember, made our hearts and knows everything about our hearts, he's greater than our hearts. He reassures us of forgiveness in Christ and our place within his family. But also remember, God's action of regeneration will cause the reaction of continued righteousness in the believer. Not perfect righteousness, but continued righteousness. Paul describes it as the practice of it. You're not going to get it right every time, but God does his work in the hearts of his children in those moments. He reassures your heart before him of his blessed salvation. And he reminds you of his power to save and keep you. Verse 21, beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Again, specifically when it comes to loving the brethren, if we have no conviction of sin in this area, if we have a clear conscience before God, well, this leads to confidence before him. Not arrogance, as if we deserve God's favor simply because we act proper for a little while or anything like that. Our confidence is not based on performance, but on the evidence of his work in our hearts. So believer, who gives you the ability to love people who are difficult to love? Who causes you to put aside your preferences in order to serve someone else's? Who puts brotherly love in your heart in the first place? Well, if your Christian confidence is coming from your performance, your heart is going to condemn you at some point pretty quickly. Our confidence can't come from our performance. When love for the brethren consistently springs out of our hearts, we can know and be confident that God is doing the kind of thing that only he can do, changing a heart. The changing of a person's heart can only come about by the Father's calling. By the Father's drawing. Jesus says this in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So when we feel love for the brethren in our hearts, and when we see it changing the way we treat people, we can have confidence in God's ongoing work in our lives and confidence in our prayer life too. So verse 22 goes on to say, Whoever we and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, some misunderstand this verse because it says we'll receive whatever we ask for of God. Some interpret this to mean that God will give us anything we want for, kind of like a genie. The Bible says whatever we ask, we receive. See, it says it right here. Well, there can be some confusion, so let's discover what John really means when he says this. Look at the whole phrase specifically the connecting word because we receive what we ask because of something the because points us to the last half of the verse because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him 
So let's ask ourselves this question this morning. If a person genuinely keeps God's commandments and lives their life to please him, what kinds of things are they going to ask him for? Do you think they're going to ask him for nicer cars or a bigger house or more money or maybe perfect health? Lots of people ask God for these kinds of things. What will the person who keeps God's commands and who lives their life to please God ask for? Would it not be for his will to be done? Would it not be for their life to be an offering back to God? Would it not be for greater strength to do what he's called them to do? Sometimes financial wealth comes to believers, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes Christians are blessed with good physical health, sometimes not. So more than cars or houses or money or health even, God is still concerned with our hearts. And the heart of a Christian asks according to God's will. This is what John says in 1 John 5 verse 14. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Wow. Okay. Thank you, John, for the clarification. According to his will. That's the key here. That's the kind of prayer that God hears and answers. Now think about this. If we're not praying for God's will to be done, aren't we praying against it? Though we don't know every part of his will for our lives, if it's not God's will for me to be healthy, and that's what I'm praying for, aren't I then praying against what God has for me? And do we really think that God will answer a prayer against his own will? Hmm. Okay, so we want to talk and we want to pray according to his will. What would that look like? Well, James, he helped us out last week and He's going to help us out again today in chapter four, verse 13 through 15. He says this, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you're a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Did you see that? The key is, if the Lord wills, according to God's will. And here's the kicker in all of this. If that is your genuine prayer to God, Lord, whatever you will, I want. If that's your genuine prayer, you can be 100% confident he's going to answer it. Because it's his will. And he always accomplishes all of his holy will. And he does it for our good. And he does it for his own glory which are the things that we should be praying for, right? In John 9, Jesus has a really interesting interesting encounter with a blind man and some Pharisees. Jesus rubs mud, actually he spits in the dirt and then rubs the mud in on this man's eyes and he sends him to the river to wash and he tells him he'll be clean when he does so. He'll receive his sight. The Pharisees needed to talk to this guy's parents because they just couldn't believe it, that this guy was healed, that he was blind from birth. So they asked his parents, they said, well, he's of age, talk to the man. And so they go and they ask the man multiple different times what happened. 
but not so that they would believe and not so that they would become his disciples, but so that they could somehow discredit Jesus. They knew God spoke to Moses, they said, but they weren't so sure where Jesus came from. In fact, some of the Pharisees even said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Well, in the blind man's testimony, the former blind man's testimony, he says something interesting. I just have to read sarcasm into this a little bit. But he says this when he's talking to these Pharisees. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Here's where it gets interesting. He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will... God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone who opened the eyes of a blind, of a man born blind, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this newly healed man understood something about prayer that many people today don't. God listens to those who care about and do his will. I think this is precisely what John is saying in our text for today in 1 John 3.22. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. But we don't just get to ask for whatever we want on a whim. We receive from God the things that please him and the things that are for our own good, which are the very things that we should be asking for. Now look at verse 22, I'm sorry, 23 and 24. Both of these verses comment further on what commandments John's referring to in verse 22. Verse 23 explains the commandment in question, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. There is a doctrinal or belief element to this, but there's also a moral or action element to it as well. Believe leads to love. And this is a twofold test for changed life. Belief in Jesus and love for one another. I don't think this is a which came first argument, like, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg either. I don't think it's like that at all. Belief in Jesus precedes genuine love for one another. How how can you love others properly If you don't know Jesus first, if you've never experienced his love in your life. And how do you know Jesus if not called to him by the father through the spirit? Remember John 6, 44, no one comes to me unless father who sent me draws him. We've seen it done. Maybe we've done it ourselves, but you can fake love for others. But real sacrificial, biblical love for one another only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 24. By this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Those who abide in God keep his commands, and those who keep his commands abide in God. Now let me point us back to verse 16 for a moment. Here, John says, God's love is made clear by Christ's sacrifice. And in verse 24, John says that God's abiding presence is made clear by the indwelling spirit. We know God's love because of the person and work of Christ. And we know God's presence because of the person and work of his spirit. 
the Spirit whom he has given us. He has given him to us. Do you see the not-so-subtle flow of thought here? Do you see the chain of events unfolding? Not one of us demanded that God save us and implant his Spirit within us. Romans 3 illustrates our efforts quite differently. No one seeks God, Paul says there. No one understands. All have gone astray. Were it not for the Father's calling, the Son's sacrifice, and the Spirit's indwelling, not one of us would be able to call God Father, Christ Brother, or experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. But God has done all of these things for every person who believes Now, I want to go back and visit the story in John 9 about the blind man and the Pharisee as we close this morning. Right after the previously blind man said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing, the Pharisees, they answered him. But they didn't give him the answer that we might expect. They answered him and said, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it's he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This man was miraculously healed from a lifelong problem, yet he still didn't know Jesus personally. So Jesus went out of his way to confront this man with the truth. Jesus went out looking for this man to challenge his beliefs. Think about this guy's life. For decades and decades, he dealt with all the hardships that come with being blind. It would be hard enough in 2020 to be blind. But this man, thousands of years ago, had to endure these things. And then suddenly, he... Incredibly, he was given his sight. But at that point, he'd still never seen Jesus. Remember, when he encountered Jesus the first time, Jesus put mud on his eyes and told him to go down to the river to wash. When he came up and he could see, Jesus wasn't there. So he went to the Pharisees and they cast him out. And then who came looking for him? Jesus did. But it wasn't until he looked in the eyes of the Savior that he truly believed. Friends, those listening this morning, you may have experienced some kind of incredible thing in your life, but if you've never looked into the eyes of the Savior and believed, you don't know him in the way that John talks about here. Knowing Jesus this way requires an explicit and intentional belief in him as God the Son. Mental assent is not enough. Simply knowing facts about him is not enough. A person has to confess Jesus Christ as their personal Lord, the Son of God. Have you ever had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus? I think about this man and how it says that he was cast out. Do any of you feel that way today? Do you feel forgotten? Is hope slipping away? Jesus went looking for this man. And I believe he's seeking after you today. The Father is still drawing people now. Is he drawing you? I would argue that he is. And I would encourage you 
to follow where he leads. I'll be standing down on the front row as we sing our final song in just a moment. And if you think that the Lord is calling you, I want to personally invite you to come down to talk and to pray with me. But let me point one more thing out before we sing. Notice this man's immediately or immediate response to belief. Worship. We know that this man knew, even before putting his faith in Christ, he knew that believers followed Jesus as his disciples. That's what he asked the Pharisees when they were asking him questions about Jesus. He said, why? Do you want to go follow him too? So he knew what it meant to follow Jesus and be his disciple. So I got to believe that after that meeting with Jesus face to face, he went and did just that. He followed him. In the context of our text today, John three nineteen through 24, worship looks like the same thing. Believing in the name of Jesus Christ. And then John adds the response of what happens in the church. Loving one another. It starts personally on the inside with belief. But brothers and sisters, it always moves to the corporate and outward love. An encounter with Jesus takes us from death to life. And from separation from the body to love for the body. I appreciate John Piper's notes on this. You can see those in the notes that I've given you this morning. He says, the one all-embracing commandment of this letter is that we believe and that we love. These, these are the foundations of our assurance because these are the evidences of God's work. They are the testimony of the Spirit. So believers with clear consciences, confident access, and obedient lives that please Christ can be assured that God will hear and answer their prayers for their good and his prayer and their prayers for his glory. The presence of God's spirit is the confidence we have been given as sons and daughters. Believers listening today, does the desire to obey God's command rise up in you as we discuss this? Does your prayer life reflect the imperative to ask for God's will above your own? Are you spurred on to love one another in the body in deeper and more active ways? And may the Lord confirm that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him as we display our belief in him by obeying his commands and by loving one another well. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that our hearts would be inclined to love for one another, that our hearts would be inclined to joyfully obey your commandments, Lord, that we would believe in the name of Christ and we would love one another. God, even our best intentions will fall short of this. And so we need Jesus desperately today. We need the indwelling spirit to spur us on to these things. And we know that we have it if we are in Christ, because it's given to everyone who believes. We thank you for your loving kindness for us, undeserved, but we thank you for it today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.